Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus called to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast the net and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter, when he heard this, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. May God bless this reading of the word and to our Lord be all glory and honor forever. Amen. The reason this is a little disjointed is because there's so much happening in this story that seems significant, but also doesn't quite seem attached in some ways. So what I wanted to do with you was share with you some of the details that are included, but I haven't been able to figure out exactly why. I just have a theory. So I'm going to share a theory with you this morning, and I hope you'll be patient with me as I try to remember everything. When my niece was first born, my sister-in-law's parents were grandma and grandpa to this whole brood of grandchildren. They had seven kids, and all of their children had at least three except my brother and sister-in-law, they just had the one. So grandma and grandpa was taken, and my parents decided, well, let's see if she'll call us grand and granddad. Easy enough, no problem. So we kept calling them grand and granddad in front of her, and hoping she would catch on, which we thought something might be wrong because she didn't catch on. <laughs> And then one day, my brother and sister-in-law said they were driving up, and they pulled up in front of mom and dad's house. And my niece stood up in the, well, she couldn't really stand, but she kind of craned her neck in the car seat, and she saw the house, and she said, ah, Mimi, Papa. <laughs> and there it was. The rest was history. They tried to teach her to call Mimi and Papa, Grand and Granddad, but Taylor apparently had her own ideas about that. And so we went with what she chose. To this day, we do not know where she got that. Mimi, Papa. But it reminds me of all those times when she was a little child and we're trying, as parents and uncles and aunts and older siblings do, trying to teach her how to get along in the world. You know, simple stuff like, if you find an olive on the carpet, please don't eat it. 
The black olives are not bugs. And when something's hot, you don't want to touch it, among other things. But now she has a child of her own, and she's learning, <laughs> and I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, and I think when we look at our own children, I think in this story in particular with the disciples, Jesus has come almost full circle with them. This, is, this appearance is happening after his resurrection. And as he comes full circle, I kind of wonder if he doesn't feel the same way we do when our children have children. It's coming full circle. And then we get to watch. And we get not only to watch them pull their hair out over the things that they made us pull our hair out over, we also get to see them watch their child grow up and see the wonder in their eyes that we had for them as they grew. I think Jesus is kind of in the same situation here. He's almost at the end of his earthly ministry and he's raised these disciples from little tiny baby disciples to disciples who are just about ready to go into the world and seek their own. And I wonder if on his mind from time to time was the idea that I hope I got everything into them that needs to be in there. But the fact is, he probably didn't. Remember the disciples? Think about them. These hard-headed guys who keep hearing parables and then sneaking over to Jesus afterward. They're probably sitting there listening to those sermons. And going, mm-hmm, 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 yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You all listening? Mm-hmm. And then they sneak over to Jesus afterwards and go, what did that mean? What are you talking about? And he would get really frustrated with them. So I sometimes wonder if he didn't say to himself, man, I hope it took. Just like we do when they get in the car and drive away. I hope it took. But there are some cool things going on in this story that, that kind of tickle the brain. Here are the disciples sitting on the shores of the Sea of Tiberias. The sun's trying to start to go down, and of all people, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now remember, they've lost their rabbi. They've been through all this scary time. And Peter's going to go fishing. But not, you know, bass fishing or fly fishing or anything like that. Peter wants to get in a boat and go out with the nets and fish like they always have. That's what they did for a living. And so they get in a boat, they take big nets, they go out. And all night long they fish. Now, I can't sit on the shore of a river for more than about 10 minutes watching a line in the water. I don't know how you can be out there all night throwing out and then hauling in these massive nets. They're waterlogged and they're heavy, but there's no fish in them. And I can't believe nobody else in the boat said, what are we doing? 
We've been out here all night. Why are we still here? Wonder if they might have thought that during their earthly mission after Jesus leaves them. What am I doing? Why am I still trying to do this? But one of the disciples, the one who Jesus loved, and we don't know who it was, okay, is in the boat. And John, the, the disciple, sees Jesus on the shore and recognized that's, that's Jesus, that's the Lord. So is John the disciple Jesus loved? That's one of the arguments in favor of that, that it might just well be John. The problem is it could have been anybody except Peter. <laughs> You've got all these guys in the boat, and he talks to Peter, so we know it's not Peter. So who is the disciple Jesus loved? Don't know. But this is a good case for it being John, maybe. Could be. But they're coming to the shore, and they're looking at Jesus in that early morning light. And I always find this fascinating, that image as they come to the shore and in this early morning light, maybe a little fog, they see Jesus sitting on the shore cooking. Now that's not what a Messiah does after he rises from the dead. Sit on the shore of some lake and cook fish. You'd think he had better things to do. But he's there. And so Peter, being Peter, I'm surprised he put any clothes on. I really am. I'm surprised he didn't just jump in the water and run to Jesus. But thank goodness for us all, we don't have to have that image in our head. We don't know what Peter did when he got there. We don't know what he said. We just know he ran for Jesus. And the rest of them pulled in the nets, probably cussing at Peter the whole time because Peter's over talking to Jesus and they're hauling in all these fish. But I like the part about the fishes because it echoes some things from earlier in the Gospels. What did Jesus tell them when he told them to put down their nets and follow him? I'm going to make you fishers of men. So here are these guys fishing for fish. They can't catch any. But Jesus says, throw your net over the other side of the boat. Which my brain goes, did they never think of that? There's no fish on this side. Maybe there's fish on this side. I don't know how fishing works with nets. But here they are when they do what Jesus tells them to do, hauling in this net full of fish. And I think there's two things happening here. One of them is reminding us that when we do what Jesus says, we become fishers of people. People are going to gravitate toward us because they want more of the gospel. They want more of this life we have together because it matters to them. It's so hard to find these days. And second off, those nets, I think, represent 
the, the extent of God's grace and how it's all encompassing. It catches up everybody it catches up and God does not care who's in the net. God says, come on, let's go. Those guys haul in this net full of fish and I don't think being disciples that they've realized exactly what the implication was. Come on, I'll make you fishers of men. Not only that, but I'll leave you with a lasting impression of what that net is made of. You'll notice it's so heavy, they can't even pull it in the boat, but it doesn't break. It's too strong for that. And they do get the fish to the shore with some work. It's not going to be easy, but it can be done. Then we have this really enigmatic thing that happens after this part of the story. Jesus looks at Peter three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I do. Then feed my sheep. Huh? Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I said so. I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. What sheep? Where are the sheep? We have dead fish. That's it. And the third time he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's just kind of exasperated now and says, of course I do. You know I do. Why do you keep asking me this? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. I think this might be the echo or perhaps the ritual undoing of Peter's three denials. Peter, we have to undo this now. Let's undo it. Of course, Peter doesn't know what Jesus is up to. and A lot of times, Peter just didn't know what Jesus was up to. But Jesus had brought these people full circle. He was about to have to leave them to their own devices to build a church that did not exist until he came to us. I think that he had to spend quite a bit of time teaching them not to eat green beans they find on the floor. And we can look at the things that happened in their lives and you can see Jesus trying to tell them, that's hot, don't touch it. But he's left in a conundrum. Did I really get it all done? Once, twice, three times. How many times did he have to teach them the same lesson over and over? And they didn't get it. Until the day of Pentecost, none of it made sense to them. And he knows he's going to leave them. And he knows that if they didn't catch on very well, they're going to learn some hard lessons. But that there's nothing he can do about that right now. We are all the same way. We are tiny little Christians learning our way as we go and we're not going to be done until the day we die. 
And we're not even sure that's when we stop learning. It may go on and on for eternity. But in the midst of all of it is God's presence and God's persistence. Once, twice, three strikes, you're out. No. Three strikes and you are not out. Four strikes, five strikes, six strikes, seven strikes, eight strikes. You know what it is? We get to walk the bases all the way around the diamond. And nothing counts against us. So as you go out into this world and you're learning new things, because believe me, I don't care how old you are, you're learning. You better be. As you learn those new things, as you hear what God is teaching you, Remember to share it with the people around you. That net is full of fish. And one, two, or three is not enough. We have to keep going. And when it seems like nobody's listening or the people you're trying to teach don't understand, remember the disciples. And remember the shoe soles. It does not matter because God is with us always. We may not understand how, we may not understand exactly what Jesus is trying to get across. And so we listen and we listen and we listen. And if we're wise, we catch on and we follow our Lord. And he feeds us. And we continue on our journey. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong. The Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, of the same substance and equal in power and glory, is, together with the Father and the Son, to be believed in, loved, obeyed, and worshipped throughout all ages. The Holy Spirit is the only efficient agent in the application of redemption. The Spirit regenerates us by grace, convicts us of sin, moves us to repentance, and persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. The Spirit dwells in us as our comforter and sanctifier, gives to us the spirit of adoption and prayer, and performs all the gracious offices by which we are sanctified and sealed unto the day of redemption. This next hymn we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3.